Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And be sure to add our podcast, Four Quarters with Josh McKinney, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fanatics. Fanatics is the world's largest collection of official fan gear from all the leagues, teams, and players you love. If you enjoy our show and are looking to buy a new jersey, sweatshirt, or hat, you can support us by going to podgo.co slash fanatics and getting 25% off your next order. That's podgo.co slash fanatics. Fanatics, officially licensed everything. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 32 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Very excited to be back with you today on the second Wednesday in January, January 13th. Now on today's show, we've got some exciting segments for you. I'll start things off again this week with This Day in Sports History and then Fearless Forecast as I make my picks for the four NFL playoff games This weekend, the divisional round of the playoffs coming up. After that, I'll be joined by Tyler Grezegoric. He is a huge Green Bay Packers fan. His Packers, the number one seed in the NFC. We discussed them this past Friday. Now, for that reason, we didn't know at the time who the Packers would be facing in the playoffs. So we do mention some teams who lost this past weekend. But still a great conversation with Tyler in Call to the Bullpen. Very excited to be joined by Tyler Grezegoric for that segment. He stuck around with me for Ranky Panky as we ranked our top five quarterbacks to wear the number 12. So you'll have to stick around and hear from Tyler, who is a part of several different things, including Pack a Day podcast, Dynasty Nerds, and Game on Wisconsin. Learn more about that. His backstory as a Packers fan and much, much more, like I said. Caller the bullpen later and Ranky Panky with Tyler. First of all, let's kick things off with this day in sports history. All right, everyone, it's time for your weekly history lesson here in this day in sports history. We start off on January 13th, 1962. When Philadelphia Warriors center Wilt Chamberlain scored 73 points in a 135 to 117 home win over the Chicago Packers. At the time, an NBA record for the most points scored in a regulation game. Chamberlain made 29 of 48 field goals and 15 of 25 free throws in the contest, while also pulling down 36 rebounds. Less than two months later, Chamberlain set a new record when he scored 100 points in a victory over the New York Knicks, while the late, great Kobe Bryant added an 81-point effort in a win over the Toronto Raptors in January 2006 
meaning Chamberlain's 73-point performance from 59 years ago is now the third-highest mark all-time in an NBA regulation game. Overall, Chamberlain scored at least 60 points, an NBA record 32 times in his career, including six games where he scored 70 or more. We move ahead to January 13, 1974 next, when the Miami Dolphins defeated the Minnesota Vikings 24-7 in Super Bowl VIII in Houston, Texas, becoming the second team to win back-to-back Super Bowls and the first since the Green Bay Packers won the first two Super Bowls in 1967 and 1968. The 1972 Miami Dolphins were famously the first and only team in NFL history to record a perfect season by finishing 17-0 and winning the 1973 Super Bowl. But the 73 team was also noteworthy as it went 15-2 in route to a victory in the 1974 Super Bowl. Don Shula was Miami's head coach for both Super Bowl victories, the only two Super Bowl wins in franchise history while safety Jake Scott and fullback Larry Zonka were the MVPs of Super Bowls 7 and 8, respectively. Next up, we go to the 80s, January 13, 1985, when the legendary Wayne Gretzky scored his 400th career NHL goal in the Edmonton Oilers' 5-4 road win over the Buffalo Sabres. Nicknamed the Great One, Gretzky scored an NHL record 894 goals during his 20-year career, which began in 1979 and ended in 1999. He also holds several other NHL records, including most career assists with 1,963, most career points with 2,857, and hat tricks with 50, having played for the Oilers, the Los Angeles Kings, the St. Louis Blues, and the New York Rangers during his Hall of Fame career. Additionally, Gretzky won the NHL's Most Valuable Player Award nine times, including eight consecutive from 1980 through 87, more than any other athlete in the history of the four major North American pro sports, which include Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NFL, and the NHL. Gretzky also won four Stanley Cup titles, all with the Oilers, in 1984, 85, 87, and 88. We finish up on January 13, 1999, when Michael Jordan announced his second retirement from the NBA just before the start of the lockout-shortened 1998-99 season. Jordan had previously retired in 1993, after leading the Chicago Bulls to a three-peat, but would return to the NBA in 1995 and help Chicago win three straight titles again from 1996 through 98. Jordan would ultimately return to the NBA again with the Washington Wizards in 2001, playing two seasons before retiring from basketball for the third and final time. Since mid-2006, Jordan has been part of the ownership for the NBA's Charlotte franchise, including as majority owner since March of 2010. That's going to do it for this week's edition of This Day in Sports History. Now let's move straight ahead into Fearless Forecast, a shorter installment this week with only four NFL games. But here we go with Fearless Forecast. 
that familiar rumble of thunder can only mean one thing, and that's right. I just said it. Fearless Forecast is back. A couple Fearless Forecasts left here in the 2020-21 to 21 NFL season. I was 500 last week during Wild Card Weekend. They called it Super Wild Card Weekend because with an extra wild card team in each conference, we had six games rather than four on Wild Card Weekend. And I finished 3-3, three and three, which, if my math is correct, I add that 3-3 three and three to my 173-82 and 82 record for the regular season. That means I am currently, overall, 176-85. and 85. Still a solid record. Very excited about having picked more than twice as many games correct as incorrect this season. It always gets harder in the playoffs, and I knew there were some games that could trip me up. The first one was that Los Angeles Rams at Seattle Seahawks game. I mentioned I thought it could go either way. The NFC West, one of, if not the toughest division in football, for sure. Definitely the toughest in the NFC. And the Rams upset the Seahawks. Like I said, again, not surprised at all at that result. Now this week, they take on the Green Bay Packers. They visit Lambeau for the 4.30 game on Saturday. And I've got a Packers fan coming on in the next segment. Again, like I mentioned, we talked prior to this past weekend's game, so no analysis about those, but great content coming up. That'll be in the next segment. Anyway, I've got the Packers, and not just because I've got Tyler Grezegoric coming on in the next segment, but because I do think the Packers are riding high and are for real this season. The Rams will make it difficult on them. Sean McVay's a great young head coach, already one of the best in the league but the Packers have found their stride this year in their second year under Matt LaFleur. Aaron Rodgers is the MVP this year, folks. 51 total touchdowns. Need I say more? 13-3. and three. I've got the Green Bay Packers winning, coming off a bye. Sometimes you can be a little slow, and like I said, the Rams will make it tough on them with that excellent defense they have. But the Packers' defense ain't too shabby either, and their offense is certainly better than that of the Rams. So the Packers win this ball game. It'll be a close one, but Green Bay advances to the NFC Championship. And Aaron Rodgers will host an NFC Championship for the first time in his Hall of Fame career. After that, the second game Saturday, we've got the Baltimore Ravens traveling to the Buffalo Bills, who got their first playoff victory since 1995. Very excited for the Bills and their fan base. For Scott Delafave, who is a listener of the podcast and was a guest on one of the first episodes we did of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Scott, very happy for you, man. Hope your Bills win. I've got the Bills winning at home over the Ravens. The Ravens-Titans game was a tough one to predict. Uh, Lamar Jackson was able to get his first playoff win in the NFL And I had the Titans winning the game, but the Ravens won it by a touchdown. I think this is where their luck runs out. That Bills team has a great offense. And a young quarterback in Josh Allen who is leading them so well. Sean McDermott, their head coach, former defensive coordinator of my Panthers. Happy for him. And they've got some Panthers on their roster. Have been called kind of Panthers North almost. But 
the Bills are going to advance to an AFC championship game. It feels like we're back in the early 90s, I bet, for a long time. Bills fans, happy that they're long-suffering and their long wait for a playoff win is over, and I hope they get number two. I've got them getting number two and knocking off the Baltimore Ravens. After that, we turn the page to Sunday, the first game at 3 o'clock. The Cleveland Browns, yes, the Bills won a playoff game, and so did the Cleveland Browns over the Pittsburgh Steelers, who at one point were 11-0, seemed to have the inside track to the number one seed, lost four of their final five regular season games, and Cleveland jumped all over them last week in the playoffs. 28 to nothing after the first quarter, and Pittsburgh made a run in the second half, but Cleveland able to hold them off. Baker Mayfield and company got it done, even with their head coach on COVID quarantine, watching from home. Cleveland, your long suffering ended as well as you won a playoff game, but unlike the Bills, I don't think you get number two. The defending Super Bowl champions are waiting. The Kansas City Chiefs, led by Patrick Mahomes. This could be a shootout for sure, but if you get into a shootout, I don't think there's anybody better at playing that game than KC. So I'd love to see the Browns pull it off. I really would. A Browns-Bills AFC championship is what I'm rooting for but I don't hate Kansas City at all. I think they get it done and advance to another AFC title game. One win away from returning to the Super Bowl, but I've got the Chiefs in a shootout. Final game of the weekend for the third time this season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play the New Orleans Saints, and the Saints took both regular season matchups. I thought they would split the season series. They did not, but we've got Tom Brady and the Bucks traveling to Drew Brees and the Saints. Is this Drew Brees' last game? Very well could be. And I say that because I've got the Bucks getting over the hump. It is very hard to beat a team three times in a season, much less a Tom Brady-led team in the playoffs. So I've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers finally getting it done and beating the Saints. Now, again, this could also be a shootout. Could be one of two shootouts on Sunday, but I think the Bucks find a way. I just trust Tom Brady a little bit more in the playoffs than Drew Brees. Both future Hall of Famers, just like Aaron Rodgers, as I said earlier. Man, we're going to have some great quarterbacks in action, both young and veterans, throughout the weekend. But I've got to go with the man who has more playoff experience than any player ever, and that's Tom Brady, the six-time Super Bowl champ. I've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning that final game on Sunday. So let's look back at what I've just said. First of all, the 4.30 game Saturday, Green Bay Packers over the Los Angeles Rams at home. Next up, Buffalo Bills over the Baltimore Ravens Saturday night, 8.15 start at home. We move to Sunday, the 3 o'clock game. I've got the Kansas City Chiefs at home over the Cleveland Browns. And then finally, a road team wins that final game, the 640 start on Sunday night. I've got Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers over the New Orleans Saints. Those are my four picks for Fearless Forecast this week. Now, folks, I'm very excited to be joined by Tyler Grezegorik. 
as I said, diehard Green Bay Packers fan. You're going to hear plenty from him over the next 45 to 50 minutes. So stay with us. We'll be right back with you after this short break. Call to the bullpen is coming up in just a minute. Do you struggle to find the time and energy to consistently eat healthy? Well, you're not alone, and there is a solution. Introducing Factor, the all-in-one meal delivery service that preps, cooks, and delivers fresh, never-frozen, fully-prepared meals directly to your door weekly. With Factor, every meal is designed by dietitians and handcrafted by world-class chefs, keeping your taste buds happy and your waistline trim. What's more, the menu changes every week, so you never lose interest in eating healthy. Right now, Factor is offering listeners of the Four Quarters with Josh McKinney podcast $50 off over their first two weeks. Just go to Factor75.com, pick your meals, and use code PODCAST50 at checkout to claim this limited time offer. That's Factor75.com, code PODCAST50. Well, uh, first of all, Tyler, just want to thank you for coming on and doing Four Quarters with Josh McKinney with me. You're the first guest I've had besides my wife since November. We took a little holiday break and came back last week with a show with me and her. So uh, excited to have you on today, man. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Uh, when you when you reached out to me to ask, I was I was super eager to join the pod and uh, come on for an interview. I always love talking about the Packers and uh, also just you know kind of getting out there and uh, meeting new people and being able to talk to different groups of people. So uh, that's why I like podcasting so much in general. Yeah, it's been a great tool. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, doing it as well. I've gotten to network with people all over the place. Uh, I had one guy from England, actually, so as far away as there. So it's been uh, a whole lot of fun. And uh, we will talk about your Packers plenty. Uh, I know they have had a great season heading into the playoffs, number one seed. Obviously, you'll get to sit back this week and, and relax and see who you guys will be playing. And obviously, by the time this comes out, we'll know who you're going to be playing in the first round. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, I did want to talk, first of all, uh, just looking at your Twitter profile, uh, some of the things that you're involved with. Uh, I saw Pack-A-Day podcast. I saw Dynasty Nerds. And I saw Game on Wisconsin. So uh, just talk about those things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> I like to say I'm all over the uh, the Twitter sphere in different areas, but kind of just I'm just kind of in the background in a lot of places. So I, I do do the, the Pack a Day podcast. We had uh, my team and I we have the Saturday recording show for Sunday morning. So we do most of the game previews throughout the season, uh, which is Mike Wenland and Gage Bridgeford. Uh, Gage Bridgeford and I also do fantasy content over at Game Mile Wisconsin. So that was a startup site this past year, which really took off. So I head up the fantasy section over there with Gage. So that's really where we kind of made our money this past year. Uh, we do rankings. We have podcasts. We do live streams uh, every week. Uh, and then at Dynasty Nerds, I did weekly sit-start articles for uh, quarterbacks. Uh, so if you were looking for, you know, some advice throughout the week for your quarterback plays, uh, that's where you were going is Dynasty Nerds uh, sit-starts there. And then I just recently started doing Dynasty rankings uh, for fantasy football over at Dynasty Nerds. So kind of all over the place over there. And for Game on Wisconsin now, we're looking to transition to draft content. So that's where I'll be heavily focusing here in the next couple months. 
Awesome. Uh, and anybody listening to the podcast can go check out those things and, and uh, give you guys a listen. Uh, I want to get to your Packers now. Uh, obviously, as I said, number one seed in the NFC, 13-3 and three in the regular season. So uh, won your final six games, seven and one at home there at Lambeau. So uh, playing really well at home where you'll be in the playoffs uh, until the Super Bowl. And uh, hopefully you're hoping. <laughs> and uh, <Absolutely>. so, <laughs> but, but as long as you're in the playoffs, you're going to be at home. So uh, first of all, uh, just talk about the season this year for your Packers. I'm trying to figure out where to start talking about this season. And I know you gave me these questions a few days ago, but even though I sit here and think about this 2020 season, going back to all the way to the draft in April with the Packers and what they did in that, in that draft. And, you know, the whole uh, situation with the pandemic and COVID leading up to this season, there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty around the Packers. And then, you know, you wrap that up in the little, little gift that the world gave us in COVID. And it, it was just, uh, it, you didn't know what to expect coming into 2020. And, when you watch the 2019 Packers, there was a lot of promise. It was their first year of Matt LaFleur, first year of the marriage of Matt LaFleur and uh, Aaron Rodgers into this, this system that LaFleur so eloquently states as illusion, uh, the illusion of complexity is what he calls it. And so, you know, you saw that last year, you're like, man, I don't know if this offense is going to work, but some of the pieces were there last year. And this year, the offense just took off. It was evident that LaFleur had a plan on offense. It was evident that he had this vision of how he wanted to use Aaron Rodgers in his system. And man, it showed. I mean, they're the number one offense in the entire NFL right now. Aaron Rodgers is the leading MVP candidate. And that's, I think that's more than anything we expected coming into the year with all of the talk about Rodgers and how he was on a decline in his career. You know, they had just drafted Jordan Love in the first round of this past draft. And so guys are like, okay, well, what does that mean for Aaron Rodgers? Does that mean that the Packers know things about him that we don't? Well, I think that the Packers are just doing what the Packers do, which is buy contingency plans. They've done that for a long time. They did it with Brett Favre when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. And so the evolution of this group, uh, this team, uh, has been a lot of fun to watch. They have swagger. They love each other. It's, it's evident that they're having fun playing football, which before the arrival of Matt LaFleur under, Matt, under Mike McCarthy, was something that this team really, really lacked. It was like, hey, we're going to go to work. We're going to do our jobs. But, you know, we don't really love being here. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. This team loves, this team loves each other. They love football. Uh, and I, I, I look forward to them being able to compete down the road here. <laughs> like you said, getting back to sit back and watch this week one of the playoffs and not have to beat each other up and all that stuff. That's it's great. It's great. But they still got to win games. Rodgers talked all year about not being able to have – he's never had a – uh, a championship game, an NFC championship game at Lambeau. This year, he will have that opportunity if they take care of business in uh, round two. So um, I'm very excited for this offense and the, for them to be put on a national stage, even though they get a lot of primetime games, whatnot. But I'm really excited for them to kind of take on some of these top tier teams and uh, really show the NFL and the, and the fans of the NFL what they've been working towards all year. Because I feel, I feel like even though some of the analysts are starting to come out and say, hey, the Packers are the best team in the league behind the Chiefs, you know, the, those are probably the top two debated teams. There's still some question marks around the offense because of the whole lack of wide receiver thing. But, I mean, I think they kind of put that type of banter to rest, in my opinion. But there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of storylines that kind of came and went this offseason into the season. And it's a lot of um, put up or shut up in this Packers team. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how they kind of continue to add on to that narrative heading into the playoffs. Yeah, and I know you mentioned the name of Aaron Rodgers a couple times, and as you said, uh, 
the front runner, obviously, in your mind for MVP, uh, mine as well. Uh, and I think most people now uh, think that is uh, just looking at his numbers, you know, a 70.7 completion percentage, 48 touchdown passes, 51 total TDs, only five interceptions, uh, almost 4,300 passing yards, uh, 121.5 QB rating. So uh, is there any doubt in your mind, you know, at 37 years old that uh, this guy is the obvious MVP? Absolutely not. You know, I think as we worked throughout the season, thinking about the progressions of the MVP debate, it was Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes. It was Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. It was Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. It was Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers. There's been really one constant that entire time. It's been Aaron Rodgers. He's been super consistent all year long. He put up career numbers this year. And for a guy like Aaron Rodgers, a first ballot Hall of Famer, who's had some incredible statistical seasons, for him to break some of his records that he's broken and to put up some of the numbers that he's put up, he put up better numbers this year than the season he did win MVP. So I think that's really the only statement you need here. Uh, you know, a 13-3 and team taking this team, leading it, and putting up some of his best numbers of his career. I think that's the only argument you need to, to really make that argument for him for MVP. Yeah, like you said, uh, throughout the year, it kind of changed a little bit early on. I know people were really hot on the uh, Russell Wilson bandwagon. And, of course, he's continued to play at a high level, but not quite where he was early in the season. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes at this point. Uh, you kind of expect that kind of play from him. And uh, Aaron Rodgers as well. But just uh, looking at the numbers, they just they ju jump off the page at you, unlike anybody else in the league. And uh, one of the guys he's been throwing the ball to, a uh, number one receiver there, Devontae Adams, uh, 115 catches, tied for second in the NFL. 1,374 receiving yards is tied for fifth. And then 18 receiving TDs is first. Talk about the play of uh, Devontae Adams this year. Man, I wish you could see this podcast because I got a big, I got a big smile on my face right now. I can't wait to talk about Devontae. Uh, the way that these two, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae, the way they attack this offense, the way that they attack opposing defenses, it's 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 an art form. It, it really is. If you, the way he attacks defenders, the, he leverages the defensive backs. The way he does all of those things, there's such a fine quality to it. There's been a lot of talk recently, and you know, deservedly so, about the footwork of Devontae Adams. Is he the best route runner in the league? I think he is now. I think Keenan Allen was that guy coming into the year and not, not a knock to Keenan Allen, but I just think Devontae Adams has continued to ascend and I don't even think he's done. I think that there's still room for him to grow and that's, that's just so incredibly exciting for him. But the ascension for him, considering where he started as a draft pick, 2014, 2015, borderline cuttable player. You know, there was a lot of discussion around him being cut after his sophomore year and he just started to put it together and he has just continued to grow even more. And Aaron Rodgers, he gushes when he talks about Devontae Adams. The, the connection that these two have is, I might get a little flack from Packers Twitter for this, but I think it's surpassing Jordy Nelson uh, and the connection that Aaron Rodgers and he had. So that's the level that these two are playing on right now. And, you know, when you, took up, you talk about Jordy Nelson and Aaron Rodgers, the mental chemistry there, it was one of the most unstoppable duos in Packers history. Might have been one of the best duos in NFL history in terms of just the time frame of the numbers that they put up. But Eric Devonta Adams has probably approached that and surpassed that. He's just playing at another level. These two are on the same page on every single play. And, you know, a big, a big factor that goes into that is something we talk about a lot in Packers Twitter and Packers preseason is the receivers that Rodgers trusts. There is absolutely no player on this team that Rodgers trusts more than Devonta Adams. I mean, you can go back and look at some of the throws that he 
that he'll make to Devontae Adams, triple coverage. And he'll make those throws because he has faith in Devontae. And so that's going to carry these two in if this offense, which has been so good all year long, I mean, they've had their moments of, of falter, sure. But, you know, overall, I mean, 14 out of 16 games, they've been the number one offense in the league. And that's been quite obvious. It, they're going to they're gonna reach a point in the playoffs where they're going to come across a defense that's going to be able to do some things against this offense, going to be able to make them struggle a little bit. Rodgers is going to look to Devontae Adams. And that's going to be the key for these opposing teams in the playoffs is, you know, can they disrupt that relationship between those two? Because it's so strong. Um, and Devontae has just become a technician. And, you know, he still occasionally has a, the concentration drop here and there. But, I mean, you're going to have that. And, you know, these guys are still, these guys are still humans. They're going to make mistakes. But he, he's so darn good at creating separation that I don't know if there's a corner that can cover him right now. And I, I, I fully mean that. Thinking about some of the corners he's played against this year, nobody's been able to really cover him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you talk about Devontae Adams and that chemistry he has with Rodgers in the passing game. I also want to talk about your uh, rushing attack there in Green Bay. Uh, you've got a couple different runners you use, primarily Aaron Jones. And, uh, you know, he had 1,104 rushing yards, which was fourth in the NFL this year, uh, nine rushing TDs, five and a half yards per carry, which is third among running backs in the NFL. So uh, talk about Aaron Jones and the rest of your uh, running game there. Yeah, Aaron Jones has been fantastic. He's been fantastic for a couple of years now. You know, when McCarthy was at the helm of Green Bay, it was always free Aaron Jones, hashtag free Aaron Jones. Uh, Jamal Williams was getting a lot of the looks during his tenure, McCarthy, that is. Uh, and, you know, Matt LaFleur comes in and he makes Aaron Jones the guy. And Aaron Jones has not looked back since. Now, I think um, this rushing attack in the playoffs is going to be a little bit more of a three-headed monster. It's going to be the Aaron Jones, A.J. Uh, a. Dillon, Jamal Williams show. All three of them are going to have a role uh, as they work through the hopefully next three games, but uh, as they work through the playoffs. And so uh, Aaron Jones has just been fantastic. He's been dynamic. He's, he's, he's just like Devontae Adams in the way that he's improved. Uh, you can see the, in the uh, improvement from week in, week out, from season to season. It's just been a lot of fun to watch. And some of the, the natural abilities that he has as a runner, like his balance, when he gets hit, his balance is like unlike anything I've seen. Uh, it might be the, one of the best in the league. Considering his stature and the natural balance he has, you know, you have guys like Saquon Barkley that kind of bounce off guys. He also has, you know, incredible running balance. But, you know, you'd expect a guy who's a little bit more bigger, a little bit more muscular like that to be able to do that, to bounce off guys. The way that Aaron Jones kind of pins balls through defenders sometimes, I just I can't believe it uh, considering his stature. And he's a, he's a tremendous receiver. I mean, they use him out wide. They'll put him in the slot. They get creative with them. Uh, so they, they like to use them in a lot of different ways. And I mean, that's the way you need to use your best players is you need to put them in different situations to make plays. And he's a very capable receiver. Uh, and so with a team that had some receiver questions coming into the year, probably still has some, but you know, they've kind of put to bed for the most part, having a guy like Aaron Jones, who can catch the ball in the backfield is pretty critical. Uh, the offensive line deserves to be mentioned here as well. They've been fantastic. I mean, they have two all pros, uh, two first team, all pro players and Corey Lindsley and David Bakhtiari. Uh, and so yeah, Elton Jenkins is probably a third player who he got all pro votes. He didn't get named an all pro, but Elton Jenkins played every single position along that, along that offensive line this year at one point, which is nuts to talk about. And he's another guy. So those three guys anchor have anchored that offensive line and have really made it uh, the key to this offense, both in the passing game and the running game. And so you're going to see guys like Jamal Williams get 15, 20 yard carries at points because the holes are just massive. And then you got AJ Dillon running downhill different style runner than uh, both Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones are. Jamal Williams is more of a grinded out kind of guy. 
Aaron Jones is a I'm gonna make you miss kind of guy. Like I said, he's got some of that break tackle ability, but for the most part, his role is to make guys miss. And then you have AJ Dillon just running downhill and running guys over, being physical. Uh, and so it's going to be really interesting to see how they combine these three guys who play different styles of football uh, into one singular rushing attack. But uh, it's going to start with Aaron Jones because this, this offense really likes the passing attack and they really like to use the play action in that passing attack. Uh, they like to talk about the illusion of complexity, which I've already mentioned. You know, they like to mirror plays to look like one thing, but then, you know, it's another. And that's going to come from weeks of film, a play earlier in the game. And a lot of that is around the play action. Uh, the tight ends are critical in this offense as well for that reason, because they'll, they'll do those little flare out routes and they'll, they'll sit there and they'll, they'll catch the little two yard, two, three yard outs and they'll turn it into 10 yards because they're getting one-on-one coverage because of the play action. So those are some of the things that the Packers have done well is it all starts from the offensive line standpoint, being able to control the line of scrimmage and then really dictating what they want to do at that point. And if you can't control the line of scrimmage against the Packers, you're going to struggle. Yeah, and uh, I know you mentioned that all-pro team. Like you said, you have two offensive linemen on there, two guys that we've already talked about, Rodgers and Devontae Adams on that all-pro first team as well. Uh, I'm actually looking at your tweet from earlier today uh, as we're uh, recording this podcast. I'd like to discuss how Ramsey was more qualified than Alexander this year. And, and I wanted to uh, talk about Green Bay's defense and, you know, much improved this year has been uh, a question mark for the team I know in past seasons. And uh, what do you think of the defense and its improvement this year? Well, there's a, there was a number of Packers podcasters and, and Twitter peoples who talked about the defense and the potential that it has coming into the year. I was one of those that thought this defense could be a top 10 unit. They have proven to be a top 10 unit. Now, that hasn't come with some uncertainties. Uh, there's a lot of questions about some of the fundamentals in this team. Uh, you know, the tackling on the perimeter, the tackling from inside linebacker. Inside linebacker has been one of the biggest weaknesses for this defense for a long time now. You know, they locked up Kenny Clark this past offseason, uh, and he, he's been really good. But, I mean, he can't eat triple teams. Like, he can eat the triple team. That's great for the rest of your defense. But the defense can't make the tackle. Then that's why they struggled in the running game so much. However, the second half of the season, I think that the Packers are top 15 against the run, if I remember correctly. I know that they've made drastic improvements there, uh, and they've worked their way into being a top 15 overall defense against the run. And a lot of that might become or might be because the Packers have played up a lot. They've played up, they've gotten, they've scored a lot of points, and teams can't, they can't afford to run the ball like that. You know, that type of mentality is not necessarily going to work in the playoffs because teams are going to do what they want to do. These are smart coaches. They know, hey, if we can run the football and score points, that's what we're going to do. So uh, they brought in Snacks Harrison to add to that front line, to kind of add to the beef in the middle, to allow those linebackers to run free. And the linebackers, you know, talking about improving throughout the year, Chris Barnes and uh, Christian Kirksey, who's a veteran player there. But Chris Barnes is the one I want to talk about. Hopefully he gets to run on uh, two weeks from now. He's dealing with an injury at the moment. But He's a guy who's really coming to his own UDFA linebacker that they brought in has been a day one starter. So Chris Barnes is a guy who has been playing uh, with his head on fire, as your hair on fire, I think is the phrase. And um, he's really been all over the place. He's been really, really big for this defense. But the, the secondary is where this team makes, makes their name. They match the secondary with a pretty darn good pass rush. So the pass rush and the secondary play off of each other. Uh, Jair Alexander has been absolutely amazing. Uh, I saw a statistic today. Uh, he allowed 66 yards week one. All right, not great, whatever. No. But the rest of the season, weeks two through 17, he allowed 77 yards. So 
that is just those are insane numbers and if you look at some of the wide receivers he's had to go up against it's just it's crazy to think about uh he really has been an island over there so kevin king the opposite corner of him gets a lot of the attention he's been good i I think you know there's some displeasure amongst packers fans of kevin king because he struggles to tackle the way he tackles is just not fundamental but he's a very physical player he's a good cover corner so he you know he's a guy who can also help in that passing attack and they've had a top 10 pass defense all year long and then you have Zadarius Smith, who you can't block for five seconds. Preston Smith, who's been okay this year. Rayshon Gary, who's really coming into his own this year. Uh, he's the guy that's probably taken over that number two pass rush role. And then Darnell Savage, who over the second half of this season has improved more than any player I think I've ever seen improve in such a short period of time. In about four to five weeks, maybe six, this guy ascended from, man, he's not having the best, you know, he's struggling sophomore year. He's really struggling to now he's in conversation as one of the best safeties in the NFL. Top five, top ten in, at, at his free safety position. And then you have Adrian Amos on the other side who got all pro votes. He's been really good as well. Just a rock in the back of that secondary. Overall, the secondary is the strength of this team, and they've really made teams pay for it. They, the Packers have one philosophy, score a lot of points and play Ben, but don't break defense. And they've done a really good job of that this year. Yeah, they certainly have. Uh, you know, you can't argue with that number one seed, 13-3. and three. The one loss that jumps off the page, obviously, is the loss to Tampa Bay, uh, the 38-10 to 10 loss. Um, do you look at that as more of just an aberration or uh, something to uh, be concerned about? Um, absolutely, I call it an aberration. That game got out of control super quickly. Uh, if I remember correctly, Green Bay was coming off of a bye, I think, or something in that game. There was, I'm trying to remember the schedule at the top of my head right now, but they were coming off a bye, I believe, in that game. And it was either bye or short week. And that game got out of control super quickly. Aaron Rodgers threw two picks in the first quarter. That doesn't happen. Like, that just does not happen. So, uh, and then you put that on top of some of the missed plays that they had and the fumbles. And it was just, a, they had four turnovers in that game. Green Bay has been one of the best teams this year not turning the football over. And they had four in that game. And so that's a game that everybody, and I say everybody, I mean, a lot of Packers fans are looking forward to having the ability to enact some revenge against the Bucs uh, because the, the path is there for the Bucs to, t- to come into Lambeau uh, in, we, in round two of these playoffs. And uh, I think there's a lot of Packers fans who really want to ride the ship there because we, we as a fan base believe that we were the better team. That game was just terrible for the Packers. And, uh, you know, that's going to happen too. They traveled that week. They went down to Florida. Packers don't play well in Florida. They never really have. Even go back to the old NFC North days uh, when they had to play Tampa in the division. They always struggled in Tampa. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's making excuses at this point. But Packers fans are looking forward to that game. A lot of them believe it was an aberration, a fluke, if you will. Uh, and they don't believe that was a true representation of the matchup. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, looking at it as an outside observer, going into that game, I predicted that the Packers would win it, and I thought it would be kind of a shootout. And uh, I was looking at the schedule. It was off of a bye. So uh, you, you kind of sometimes don't know what you're going to get out of your team coming off of a bye. Could be really good, could be super rusty. Uh, I know for years, uh, uh, being a Carolina Panthers fan, uh, I was used to them coming out kind of sluggish after a bye a lot of times. And certainly they're not at the caliber of Green Bay at this point. But, uh, yeah, I think it was an aberration as well. Uh, you talk about maybe Tampa Bay being set up to uh, come into Lambeau there in the conference championship. Would you say they're the biggest threat in the NFC or somebody else? Who do you think? 
Well, I think the biggest threat in the NFC is a team that the Packers already beat, and that's the New Orleans Saints because the Saints are playing good football right now. They're playing really good football. That defense has come into its own uh, the second half of the season. I think the first half of the year, the Saints really struggled on defense for some reason. It was, I don't know. They, they had the players. They had the talent. Uh, but they've really come into their own the second half of the year. Uh, that's, not a, that's not a matchup I'd be looking forward to at all. Uh, so I think the Saints are the, probably the biggest threat in the NFC right now. Seattle's been really dry on offense. Uh, you look at Washington, I mean, obviously Washington is a fun story, but does anybody I think they can really compete in the playoffs right now? I think the offense is lacking. The defense is good, but they're missing some key, uh, some key elements that you think you need to, to succeed in the, in the NFL playoffs, which is the secondary. Secondary is just okay for them. They have a great pass rush. They have a good defense overall, but the offense, I don't know if the offense can keep up with some of these better teams. And then you start going to the wild card, the Buccaneers, obviously, uh, they've been kind of hot or cold all year. I mean, the offense is starting to come into its own there. But can the defense now, can, can they, you know, keep up? Because they were really good the first half of the year. Then they struggled the second half of the year. So can they put all the pieces together, the Buccaneers, to be uh, a threat in the NFC? And then you go down the line there, and you got the Bears at the seventh seed. I mean, we all kind of know how they snuck into the playoffs here. I mean, Car the Cardinals had just a horrendous stretch of games towards the end there that they weren't able to sneak one win in to, get the, to keep the Bears out. And then uh, you got the Rams, who also have struggled in the second half of the year. So you talk about the hot teams coming into the playoffs, it's the Packers, it's the Saints. And I would probably say the Bucs are the third, hot, third hottest team coming into the playoffs uh, in the NFC. And so uh, th those are the teams I'm worried about. It's the teams that get hot right now, not necessarily the teams that have you know, put up the, the big records like the Seahawks, because I think the Seahawks have been overall struggling as of late. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the uh, Cardinals. That was one of the teams going into the season I said to watch out for. And, of course, we know the, the hot start that they got off to. I believe they play in one of the toughest divisions in football, for sure, from top to bottom. I think the 49ers were kind of ravaged by injuries this year that changed the way their season was going to go. Uh, but I think that was one of the toughest divisions in football up there with the uh, AFC North. Uh, I think it was really tough as well this year. And uh, while we're talking about the AFC, are there any teams you think can possibly challenge the Chiefs there in the AFC? Well, I mean, obviously you've got Buffalo, Pittsburgh, uh, Tennessee, uh, Indianapolis. Let's see here. I'm trying to remember the seeds off the top of my head. But um, the, the biggest threat would probably be the Bills. I mean, the Bills have this, this it factor that you're looking for right now. I talked about coming into the playoffs hot. That's what you want. And I think the Bills have the swagger. Uh, Josh Allen has played really well. He still makes some bad mistakes at times. And that could ultimately end up costing this team. Is if, if you get a team – if you get a team that is able to contain him in the pocket and make him make some bad decisions, I think that's how you're going to beat the Bills because their defense has been only okay. It's kind of it's kind of had a rebound the last quarter of the season, but overall I think they've underperformed this year. Uh, and so the offense has really carried that team. And so they're kind of missing some guys at wide receiver. Uh, you know, they obviously have Stephon Diggs, but, I mean, behind him they, they're dealing with some injuries. So uh, overall, I, I think the Bills have the best chance. I just don't know if there's a team right now in the AFC that can compete because I think the Steelers are a little dry. The Titans have their problems on defense. The Colts are a fundamentally good team, but there's an obvious lack of um, offensive firepower at times. Like, I don't know if they can win, uh, win shootout games, I guess is where I'm going with it. Uh, we talk about the Ravens. They've had their problems this year. So uh, the Browns, the Browns too. The Browns, I guess, is a team you want to look out for because the defense has the talent to be really good. They just have yet to kind of put it all together, kind of like the Bucks. They're kind of coming in a similar situation to the Bucks. The offense is starting to put it all together, but the defense needs to kind of step up to be on the same level to make sure this team is playing and winning games we're supposed to win. I mean, they barely beat a 
Steelers team that wasn't playing a lot of their guys. So I, I don't know. I don't know if the Browns are it. I mean, they're kind of coming in hot. I think they're kind of going to be riding a wave. So if we're talking about hot teams again, I think that I think that it goes Chiefs, Bills, and then Browns. But I don't know if any of those teams are going to compete with the Chiefs. Yeah, it's uh, you know they obviously are the defending champs, and will be until somebody can knock them off. And um, by the time this podcast comes out, we'll have some of these questions answered. You know, whether the Browns could get past the Steelers, uh, could the Bills take down Indianapolis? I do want to get back to your Packers. I want to talk about uh, when you started watching the NFL and uh, how you settled on becoming a Packers fan. Well, let's start with how I settled on being a Packers fan. I grew up in Wisconsin. I was born and raised there. Uh, if you weren't a Packers fan, uh, it was tough sled. No, I'm just kidding. There's, I mean, I, I've always been a hometown kind of guy. I mean, I'm a Packers fan, Brewers fan, Bucks fan, Badgers fan. Um, you know, and when I moved out of state, I became fans of the cities I moved to. So, uh, you know, I, it, it's always um, been a hometown thing for me. And I, I grew up around it. My entire family was Packers fans, literally my entire family. I think there might be one Vikings fans, but we don't really – you know, I don't really talk to him. No, <laughs> so it's you know everybody's Packers fan. You just get exposed to it. You get you get wrapped up in the camaraderie. It, it's it's just great. And the city of Green Bay, growing up, being able to grow up there in my adolescence. So I was like maybe thirteen when we moved to Green Bay, and just being that close to Lambeau, it was it was amazing. And you know you get the opportunity to start going to games. You start, you start meeting other Packers fans, and it's just it was a blast. And so, uh, but I can kind of take this back a little bit now to how I became interested in football and that was I have this strong recollection of Monday night football game against the Vikings it might have been 1998 something like that I just know uh, it was uh it was a Monday night football game John Madden now Michaels uh overtime game uh, against the Vikings and uh, it was one of those final plays of the game it was the final play of the game because the Packers won on it but Favre threw it down the sideline to Antonio Freeman bounced off Antonio uh Antoine Winfield's back and uh, Freeman caught it before it hit the ground, landed right on his chest. He gets up, runs in for a touchdown, and you hear Michael's going, he did what? And, I, I mean, you know, I, I say this acting like nobody knows the play. I'm sure you heard the play before, but uh, that was the play. I remember watching it live. My mouth dropped. I was like, I love this game. Like, I love the Packers. I love Antonio Freeman. I love Brett Favre, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so uh, that was the moment for me where I was like, this is something I'm going to watch for a long time, and I'm going to be super into it. And so uh, even when I moved across seas, I moved overseas to uh, Italy. I lived there for three years. I would wake up at two, three in the morning to watch Packers games because I was like, I'm not missing, I'm not missing these. And so that, that was really what started it though, was that Antonio Freeman play on Monday Night Football. Yeah. And I believe you're in uh, Phoenix, Arizona now. Correct. And uh, talk about, you know, obviously the difference in uh, weather and the difference in atmosphere from uh, Wisconsin. Well, they hate the Packers down here. So <laughs> uh, they hate the Packers down here. The Cardinals and the Packers have this weird unspoken rivalry. Uh, so they don't like the Packers at all down here. But um, no, I mean, the weather is great right now. I think it's like 65 degrees outside. So uh, but I'm sitting here wearing a sweatshirt. So the joke's on me. My Wisconsin uh, family's probably laughing at me right now. But uh, no, I mean, I, I actually miss the cold weather a little bit. I miss living in Wisconsin. I think maybe someday I'll hopefully find myself back there. But you know, I've kind of started to make a life down here in Arizona, so maybe I'll stay down here. But, uh, but no, I mean, the, the cultural differences are just, it's just, just different too, because I live in a big city now. I live in Phoenix. Uh, I used to live in a smaller town, actually, uh, in Wisconsin. It was not in Green Bay, but it was outside of Green Bay, maybe 10,000 people. And so uh, definitely completely different atmosphere here. You'd be lucky if you meet your neighbors sometimes, but there, you know, you're like, you're like, oh yeah, we're gonna go to the Hansons down the street. No, that's not here. So uh, just, to, you know, had took some adjusting there. I mean, I went to college here, so I had the opportunity to to kind of learn the city that way. 
and then I ended up marrying my wife down here. So she know she grew up here. So she's from here. Uh, and so she was able to show me all the ropes of, of Phoenix, but completely different atmosphere. And like I said, they don't like the Packers. So every time they get an opportunity to bash the Packers on the public radio, uh, they take it here. So it's, uh, it's definitely, it's really interesting. Uh, it's a really interesting perspective sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and just uh, as a weather update, it snowed here in North Carolina today, only about three or four inches. I'm not oh, used about to about three or four snowed. inches. That'd be, yeah. you'd be shutting everything down here. Life would yeah, not. Yeah, <laughs> well, that kind of feels like it is here because we don't get it that often. And uh, I know even much less than a place like Phoenix, but compared to Wisconsin or somewhere up north, you know, I've got a lot of a family in Ohio and they get snow all the time. They're talking about being cold. We're like, it was like 65, 70 here. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's always crazy to see those differences. I do want to go back. Speaking of differences, uh, 10 years ago uh, was when Green Bay defeated uh, the Steelers in the Super Bowl. Now, that year, a lot different than this one. They went in as the number six seed, so the underdogs in, in some of those games. And uh, I remember that Super Bowl well. Your memories of that team? Uh, I was a senior in high school, uh, and I <laughs> – I, this is probably wrong of me, I'm going to admit this, but I had signed up for work. I was working. And I had signed up for work because I'm like, the Packers aren't going to make Super Bowl. So I'll work Super Bowl Sunday because I was a pizza delivery driver. I was like, I could make some good money on Super Bowl Sunday. And, um, you know, I signed up for that about a month in advance. <laughs> they ended up making the Super Bowl. So I had to work Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, and I remember talking to my boss. He knew I was a big Packers fan. I was like, I was like, hey, man, like, I'm trying to get out of here early, as early as possible today. Like, I'll, I'll work the morning, and I'll work, I'll work up until about, like, an hour before game time. But, like, I, I want to get out of here as soon as possible. And uh, I think the game started at, like, gosh, it was, like, 6, maybe. I can't remember exactly. Um, but I ended up having to work until about 6.30 because I couldn't get out on time because it was so busy. Uh, and so <laughs> I actually missed the entire first quarter, and I was super sad. Uh, but I got home, started watching the game, and it was just – it was so surreal. I'll never forget the experience of watching this, this play and these games. Every single play, every single call, every single inch mattered. And to me, it was just one of the most stressful but happiest moments of my life. It was a weird combination of that. And so just watching that game and watching the plays from Aaron Rodgers and Greg Jennings in that matchup and, and then Nick Collins and Clay Matthews, and there's just so many Packers legends you know, legendary moments, I, should, I guess we should say, in that game. I mean, I'm not sure if you've heard of the It Is Time from Kevin Green, the recently uh, the recently passed Kevin Green. It Is Time. That has been something that has lived in the Packers fandom and the, and the Packers news world since that day. You know, that is something that has been called upon several times. And, you know, even even today, even even in this current season, It Is Time is, is something that one of those things that, that comes out of that season and, and plays today. So there's just so many lasting memories from that game and for me personally it was my first Super Bowl I had the opportunity to watch I remember watching close calls with uh, Brett Favre still at the helm I mean I remember specifically when they lost to the Giants in the conference championship game that was not a game they were supposed to lose they were supposed to go to the Super Bowl that year and I remember that game too in full detail and then you think about games after that you think about coming so close the the Brandon Bostic fiasco in Seattle uh, or against Seattle, and you don't appreciate how hard it is to get to that point, and then to be able to enjoy that. Maybe some of the things that happened after that fact, because they haven't been back, they haven't been there since 2010. You know, makes you appreciate the specialness of that moment. And yeah, I, I, there's there's so many memories I'll never forget. Just watching it with my family at home. So the play, the big plays that they needed, the Clay Matthews fumble. Like I said, the, it is time that came out of that game. All those different things. Nick Collins, who uh, is one of my favorite Packers players of all time 
Charles Woodson. Uh, there were so many moments that it's it's hard to pick just one uh, and say that that was what came out of that game. But it's just uh, it was an incredibly special time, and I, I wish it upon any fan base because it's a lot of fun. And uh, don't take it for granted as well. I mean, we see these fan bases that these teams that have had fan bases that have struggled to get just to the playoffs. I hope that the Browns and the Bills can can, can make that happen this year because it, it's just an experience like unlike any other. Yeah, I can speak as a, a Panther fan, which you mentioned Kevin Green, who was also a Panthers great, uh, who recently passed away. But uh, as a Panthers fan, I, I, there's a lot of memories that I have of the uh, 2015 Panthers. 15-1 and one came out of nowhere that year, uh, the Cam Newton MVP year. So many moments I remember. Don't like to think about that Super Bowl very often because that was a very bitter <laughs> end to that season. Yeah. But – uh, I'll never forget that season and looking back now to see where the Panthers are now versus where they were uh, definitely look back on it with great gratitude that it happened and that I got to see them have that season now before we move on I did want to talk about one of the big stories that's been coming out of the NFL this week and that is Deshaun Watson uh, one of the great young quarterbacks in the league the Houston Texans uh, doesn't like uh, the way the team has been managed and uh wants out basically and uh just talk about where you think he might go if he does leave Houston uh, such an interesting the quarterback carousel period this year this offseason is going to be one of the most interesting that I can think of to date uh there's so many teams that are looking for that franchise quarterback there's so many teams that have tried to find that franchise quarterback and struggle and so uh on top of the teams that with the, like the Jets and uh, the 49ers, I think, could be one of those teams that sneakily moves on from Jimmy Garoppolo and finds somebody else. The the Lions and what they're going to do with Matthew Stafford, it's very early to tell. I don't think Cam Newton is back in New England. Uh, I think he did a good enough job to maybe get an offer, but he did this year get a late offer to go start somewhere else. I think that that could be a case for him, but I don't think he's back in New England. And so you got to think about teams that, because we don't know, there's so much uncertainty with some of these other teams. Teams that have the ammo, the cap space, and the the need for it, it's New England, right? It's New England. New England England has the best opportunity, I think, to land a guy like Deshaun Watson. But I don't think he goes anywhere. I think that, you know, that was all trade. uh, It was all uh, media speculation. I I don't think that new GM Nick Casario is going to let him get out of his hands, especially trade him in New England an organization he just left. So uh, if I had to pick one as a team that would be best fit, I would say New England. I would be, I would feel just as bad for Deshaun Watson in New England because he would ha- he would still have no help there. Uh, he'd actually have more help in Houston than he does in New England right now. But uh, I would I would feel like that's the best team fit as far as need, cap space, opportunity, all that stuff. Yeah, and uh, I'm a fan of both Cam Newton, who is my favorite player, <laughs> by the way, um, and uh, Deshaun Watson have been since his Clemson days. Obviously, Clemson not too far away from North Carolina here, and remember what he was able to do there and uh it's going to be interesting to see where both of those guys are at does Deshaun stay I do think New England would be the number one place if he was to leave Houston I'm with you I think Cam probably not back in New England and uh maybe he goes to Washington uh back with Ron Rivera I don't know but uh it'll be interesting to see what happens there I expected him to be the comeback player of the year this year, and then I saw the weapons he had in action or the lack thereof, and uh, 
they've got a few guys that really impressed me for the Patriots. I, I did have to pull for them this year <laughs> uh, just because my favorite player is there. We've got a guy on defense who's a rookie there, Kyle Duggar, who's a great story that I covered his last year of college here in Division II ball at Lenore Ryan. So I was pulling for him. He had a pretty solid rookie year. Got a lot of playing time with all the opt-outs and, and Patrick Chung being one of the main ones. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where these guys land. There's a lot of teams that really need a franchise quarterback, the Panthers included <laughs> in that. So uh, selfishly would love to see us get somebody like that. Don't know if we end up with someone in the draft, what's going to happen. I like Teddy Bridgewater as a backup. I think he's a good game manager and can do some nice things, but we'll see uh, what's going to happen there uh, with the Panthers. I want to get to this uh, rankings that I talked about us doing. This is a segment we call Ranky Panky. Basically, we've talked about uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, where's number 12. Uh, a lot of quarterbacks throughout NFL history, a lot of great quarterbacks have wore number 12. And so we are each going to rank our top five quarterbacks to wear the number 12 uh, jersey. So first of all, I've got an honorable mention that just barely missed my list that I wanted to say, and that is Randall Cunningham. I think he really kind of revolutionized uh, the way quarterback position was played at his time. Uh, it'd be interesting to see him in today's NFL. You know, four-time pro bowler, uh, was a part of one of the greatest offenses of all time in the late 90s there with Minnesota. Had Randy Moss, Chris Carter, guy who had almost 5,000 rushing yards in his career, almost 30,000 passing yards, 35 rushing TDs, 207 passing TDs. So uh, I put Randall Cunningham uh, on my honorable mention. Did you have anybody that didn't make your list you wanted to shout out? Uh, no, I actually had one guy who barely – who made the cut because I needed five. I really had four. Uh, but I had one guy who made the cup because I needed five. So, no, no honorable mentions for me. Gotcha. Okay, I will go into my number five, and then we'll let you get your number five, and we'll get going. Uh, my number five is Roger Stahlback, and uh, Dallas Cowboys great. Uh, Two-time Super Bowl champion, was the Super Bowl MVP in one of those, six-time pro bowler. His numbers aren't as good as some of the guys I have higher on my list. You look back at a lot of guys who were legends and the game has really changed a lot over the years. And so the numbers don't always jump out you as much as they do now. But Roger Stallback had a shorter career, 11 years after serving in the Vietnam War. So uh, a shorter career for him, but 153 touchdowns, 109 interceptions doesn't jump out at you. But those two Super Bowl titles and, and what he means all time to the Dallas Cowboys franchise uh, is what does jump out. So I've got him at number five. Yeah, I, um, he's not my number five, but he is on my list. So I'll, we'll, I guess we'll get to that point in a little bit, and I'll add why he's on my he's on my list. I got Jim Kelly. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I kind of needed somebody to fill out five, and I was going through the uh, pool of guys. You know, Jim Kelly is a guy that I remember collecting football cards for growing up, and he's a, I got a Jim Kelly card at one point. I was like, this is so cool. But that's really the only reason I have Jim Kelly on this list. Uh, other than that, I, the other guys I had a little bit more oomph behind as far as why I picked him. Okay, well, that leads me perfectly into number four because I have Jim Kelly. Uh, he led Buffalo to four straight Super Bowls in the 90s. Unfortunately, lost all four times. Uh, that's got to be tough. But five-time Pro Bowler, 237 touchdown passes, over 35,000 passing yards. You know, Buffalo's the only team to appear in that many Super Bowls consecutively. So that's a pretty cool accomplishment, even though it didn't go their way 
And uh, maybe I put him at number four because I do have a friend who's been on the podcast who's a Buffalo Bills fan. So, uh, and I know he's a huge Jim Kelly fan, so he'll be happy that he made my list. <laughs> I mean, he's well-deserving. He's well-deserving. Uh, so, for me, my number four is the recently retired Andrew Luck, one of the most talented quarterbacks that we've had in our lifetime. I think it probably, you know, that spans a couple of different generations that could say that. So if Aaron Rodgers was not in this generation, Andrew Luck would be the most talented quarterback, I think. I think Patrick Mahomes is starting to enter that conversation as well. But those are the names we're talking about with Andrew Luck. Uh, he's a lot of fun to watch. Just a goofy dude. Uh, you know, I covered the Colts for a small time, about a year. <laughs> that was the year he was coming back off the shoulder injury. So I was um, – I was super excited to cover Andrew Luck for a little bit. He's, he's just a goofy dude, and, you know, he's really relatable. That's really the biggest reason here that he's on my list, um, and he made it above Jim Kelly at five. The other three guys I just have affection for as far as football players, uh, but Andrew Luck is definitely on this list because he's such a goofy dude and such a talented player at the same time. Yeah, I definitely consider putting him on my list. Did not. My number three is Terry Bradshaw, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers great. Four Super Bowl titles, two Super Bowl MVPs, uh, an NFL MVP, three-time Pro Bowler. Uh, and again, 212 passing yards, 210 interceptions. Doesn't exactly jump off the page at you, but you think about the differences in, you know, that Steelers team was really built around defense, and that whole franchise has been built around defense. But uh, Terry Bradshaw, a great quarterback and uh, a really fun guy to still watch on television today, but I've got him at number three. That's one, that's one way to put it. I'm uh, not the biggest fan of analyst Terry Bradshaw, to be honest with you. Probably why he didn't make it on my list, which is probably not fair to him. You know, we should probably separate the playing days and the uh, analyzing days. But, uh, yeah, no, my number three is Randall Cunningham. And uh, for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned as well, he wore 12 with the Philadelphia Eagles. He was just a lot of fun to watch. You know, he's a guy that I wish I could go back and watch in, in lifetime. And, and I wish that I had the opportunity to watch more of him as a um, as a young football fan because it just would have been – he might have had that Antonio Freeman, Aaron Rodgers, no, not Aaron Rodgers, but Antonio Freeman, Brett Favre play effect on me uh, as a watching him as a young football fan because I know when I watch him now, I'm like, man, that is something that would be incredibly fun to watch nowadays. Today's NFL, he is better than some of these guys that are coming out today, and he he does. He models some of these the guys like Deshaun Watson. You know, he models that just that hard nose, like gonna do whatever it takes to make the play happen type player. And he was revolutionary for a couple other reasons, too, at the position. So he doesn't have the stats necessarily to back it up, but a super talented guy. Uh, and he was a lot, of, a lot of fun to go back and watch uh, and watch the way he played the game. Yeah, well, I'm going to have your guy at number two, and that's Aaron Rodgers. Now, if I was going off basically raw talent only, he'd be number one without question. Uh, I think at the quarterback position, he's right up there all time in terms of raw talent. and. Uh, uh, obviously, his numbers are incredible as well. So, uh, I mean, we talked about it. Super Bowl 45 champion and the MVP of that game, uh, two-time MVP, nine-time Pro Bowler, uh, 51,245 passing yards. Now we're getting in the numbers that really, really jump out at you. Let's see, 412 passing touchdowns, only 89 interceptions, 13 years as the starting quarterback there for Green Bay. A great runner as well, over 3,000 rushing yards, 31 rushing touchdowns, 103.9 passer rating, 65.1 completion percentage, all just phenomenal. But all you need to do is watch Aaron Rodgers play a game to see how great he is. I mean, at the end of a game, if you've got a Hail Mary, <laughs> that's the guy you want out there is Aaron Rodgers. It comes down to that. So I've got him at number two. 
Yeah, he's not my number two, but uh, <laughs> just a brief preview there. I mean, just adding on to the Rodgers narrative real quick, the only quarterback to throw for 40 touchdowns three times. Uh, and I think now – I know that Russell overtook him at some point in the season, but I think it's since reverted. I'm pretty sure he has the highest passer rating of all time again. Uh, those are just two other stats to add to his already illustrious stat sheet. I've got another one that I forgot that I wrote down and I forgot to say. Uh, set, uh, he's got the NFL record for consecutive passes without an interception with 402, so that's crazy as well. Yeah, funny enough, they mentioned that, and as soon as they mentioned that, he threw a pick in that game. Oh my God, <laughs> so, uh, But uh, my number two is Roger Staubach, and this for a couple different reasons. Uh, you know, just obviously the greatness that he brought to that Dallas Cowboys franchise and the greatness that the Cowboys present, period, uh, and what they, what they mean to football. Uh, and then he played for Navy. He played for the midshipmen. Uh, I was in the Navy. Uh, so that's just another reason for me to go home or there and uh, take Staubach. Also, he's, he's, he's definitely considered one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time as well. So, and doing that at a program like Navy. So, uh, you know, I, I, I love Roger Staubach for that in the sense of, um, you know, he, he brought some glory to the midshipmen when they haven't had much over their entire, uh, entire history of their program. So. Yeah. And you probably know where I'm going with number one. Uh, that is Tom Brady. Six Super Bowl championships, four Super Bowl MVPs, three NFL MVPs, 14 Pro Bowls, uh, over 79,000 passing yards, 64% completion percentage, 97.3 passer rating. Just incredible what he was able to do in New England and what they were able to build there. I know a lot of times the villains in a lot of people's minds of the NFL, for sure. Uh, I've got a friend who's a big Patriots fan. And uh, now I've had to uh, kind of support them with Cam being there this year and my other local connection. Uh, but I will say, though, it would have been fun to see what Aaron Rodgers could do with some of the weapons that Brady has had over the years. Maybe he's the one. If he had more weapons given to him there in Green Bay, I think that's been the narrative for a lot of years. Maybe he's the one who would have four or five Super Bowl rings. Absolutely. And Tom Brady did not make my list because I took a more of a personal favorite approach to this rather than a who's the best of all time approach. And I personally am not a fan of Tom Brady. I, I fall in that villain category that you were mentioning. I appreciate the greatness. I respect the greatness. I appreciate what he's done for the game. I'm just not the biggest fan of Tom Brady, the person, but uh, he has his moments too. Um, probably just a little bitter because of the Patriots franchise and dynasty that they had, that they uh, endured. So uh, I don't think it's any secret who my number one is, is Aaron Rodgers. Uh, the amount of happy memories this, this man has given me as a football fan, I, I can't not put him number one. He's one of the first jerseys I bought uh, as a young adult when I was like, okay, I get to go buy my own Packers jersey now. Cool. Aaron Rodgers is the first one. So, it, you know, he's been a guy that you could rely on from a Packers standpoint for a long time now. Uh, I personally complete opposite of Tom Brady. I really like Aaron Rodgers as a person. I think he's a little bit polarizing in some NFL circles because he's not afraid to speak his mind, but that's a, that's a quality I truly do appreciate about him. He's never not saying what he actually thinks or feels. Uh, he might be a little passive aggressive at times. I'll give people that, but for the most part, this guy just wants to win like everybody else. He's just going to be brutally honest with his teammates and that doesn't necessarily rub everybody the right way so I get it and I can understand some of the uh blowback that would come from that but he is my number one player on this list of quarterbacks to wear number 12 uh, just one of the most talented players to play the position of all time I mean there's certainly a conversation maybe three or four guys now that you could put in that conversation so uh maybe if we had film back in the 50s 60s 70s we'd have some other guys to add there but no Rogers definitely my number one quarterback to wear number 12. Yeah, and so just real quick, I'll go back through mine, five to one. Uh, Roger Stallback, Jim Kelly, Terry Bradshaw, Aaron Rodgers, and Tom Brady. Your top five again? 
uh, was Jim Kelly, Andrew Luck, Randall Cunningham, Roger Staubach, and Aaron Rodgers. Awesome. Well, Tyler, before I let you go, you can just uh, plug your podcast again where people can find those and also uh, anywhere on social media they can find you, keep up with you. Absolutely. You can find all my work over on Twitter. That's where I post everything, uh, at Tyler underscore Grez. I, I do mostly in-season work for Dynasty Nerds, uh, which comes down to sit-starts throughout the week uh, and then uh, sit-start articles as well. But, like, live sit-starts the day of, you know, continuous advice through for trades and stuff like that. I started doing dynasty rankings at Dynasty Nerds as well. So that'll be a weekly impact type thing. And then at Packaday Podcast, I have been there for two seasons now. And uh, we do the Saturday recording for Sunday morning shows. So we get the Packers preview most of the time. So check that out. And then Game On Wisconsin, um, one of the head fantasy guys over there. So we do podcasts twice a week. Uh, we during, In season, we also have a live stream. And then we also come up with rankings once a week for the weekly rankings. But as we transition into offseason here, the fantasy stuff obviously is going to go back a little bit, but we're going to take it. Gage and I, Gage Bridgeford and I, are going to shift to dynasty fantasy football as well as draft content together. So there will be a heavy draft focus from me coming in the coming months. Uh, I do a lot of Packers draft history as well. I usually write for a draft guide, but I haven't committed to anything yet. So we'll see if that's still in the works. But um, you'll see me. You'll see my account go to draft heavy. So if you just want football content, this is the time to follow me. All right. Good stuff. Um, it's been fun talking about your Packers and other NFL notes and the rankings as always. Uh, Tyler, thanks for coming on the show, man, and uh, good luck to your Packers in the playoffs. <laughs> thanks. We're going to need it. Anything can happen in the playoffs, but uh, thanks for having me on. It was a blast. Anytime. All right, man. Take care. Folks, that's going to do it for episode 32 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Special thanks once again to Tyler Grezegoric for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with him and the Ranky Panky we did, as well as the other segments. Folks, very excited to be back with you. We've got two episodes down in 2021. Next week, I'm going to be joined by my second international guest in the history of the show, so stay tuned for that. Plenty of NBA talk coming up in that episode. Can't wait for that. And more quality content, folks. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at SuperJMac32 or like Four Quarters with Josh McKinney on Facebook. We're here with you each and every Wednesday on Four Quarters with Josh McKinney.